0: everyone. My name is Dr. Marjorie Mae Mamsaang. I'm Dr. Trisha Prince.
1: My name is Dr. Sheila Javeri. I'm Dr. Patricia Goodwin.
0: And we are the PM&R Lady Docs. We're a group of physical medicine and rehabilitation doctors who met in residency and wanted to create an educational podcast to help with Board Review. We also talk about other topics that may be educational, maybe about lifestyle, current events, and interview some special guests, too. This episode is part of our Board Review series. In a previous episode, I reviewed prosthetics and amputees. Today I'll be covering gait and orthosis, which will include assistive devices, shoe orthosis, upper limb orthosis, and spinal orthosis. But first, our disclaimer. This is meant to serve as a study supplement in addition to your other study materials. It is not comprehensive as I mainly go over just the content that is just quizzed upon the most. You can be on the move while listening and give your eyes a rest. This podcast covers the major topics that are commonly seen, but does not include all. It is also not meant to serve as a medical diagnosis podcast. Please see your regular physician for appropriate evaluation and treatment. So we'll go ahead and start with gait analysis. Memorize the gait cycle, no easy way to tell you. Feel free to pause, take notes, and look at pictures of the gait cycle. One gait cycle is known as a stride, and each stride has two steps. Let's go over some definitions. What is stride length?
1: Stride length is the distance between corresponding successive points of contact of the same foot. For example, the distance between heel strike to heel strike of the same foot.
2: What is step length? Step length is the distance between corresponding successive contact points of opposite feet. For example, it is the distance from heel strike of one foot to heel strike of the other foot.
0: What is stance
3: phase? Stance phase is the time in which the limb is in contact with the ground.
0: There are five periods of the stance phase. Number one, initial contact. Number two, loading response. Number three, mid stance. Number four, terminal stance. Number five, pre-swing. A way to remember the phases is saying, I like my tea pre-sweetened for the first letter of each word. Initial contact is when the foot first hits the ground. Loading response is the time between initial contact until the contralateral limb is lifted off the ground. Know that during the loading response, the body has the lowest center of gravity at this point. Know that the center of gravity is located five centimeters anterior to the S2 vertebra. Another important concept to know is the line of gravity, also known as the weight line. The line of gravity is the line passing through the center of gravity to the ground. Know that the line of gravity passes behind the cervical vertebra, in front of the thoracic vertebrae, and behind the lumbar vertebra. It is slightly posterior to the hip joint, anterior to the knee joint, and passes one to two inches anterior to the ankle joint, tending to dorsiflex the ankle. The key thing to know is that during quiet standing, the line of gravity passes posterior to the hip joint, anterior to the knee joint, and anterior to the ankle joint. Continuing on with stance phases, mid stance is the time between lifting the contralateral limb from the ground to the point where the ankles of both limbs are aligned in the frontal plane. Know that the body has the highest center of gravity during mid stance. Terminal stance is the time between ankle alignment in the frontal plane to just prior to initial contact of the contralateral or swinging limb. Finally, pre-swing, is the time from initial contact of the contralateral limb to just prior to lift off of the ipsilateral limb from the ground. You can think of pre-swing as unloading weight. What is swing phase?
1: Swing phase is the period when the foot is in the air for limb advancement.
0: Swing phase has three subdivisions, initial swing, mid-swing, and terminal swing. A way to remember this is saying in my teapot for the first letter of each word. Initial swing is lifting the limb from the ground to maximum knee flexion. Mid swing is immediately afterwards, following knee flexion to vertical tibia position. Terminal swing is immediately after just prior to heel strike. Know that for normal walking speed, stance phase makes up 60% of the gait cycle, and swing phase makes up 40% of the gait cycle. So walking faster decreases the time spent in stance phase and increases the time in swing phase. Double limb support is the time when both feet are on the ground, whereas single limb support is when one foot only is on the ground. During running, there's only single limb support and no double limb support.
3: I think that's something really important to remember too. Um, I know that I've been asked that question like by attendings and stuff before uh, regarding the gait cycle about single limb versus double limb support during running. Um, And it's kind of counterintuitive, but when you think about it, it makes sense.
0: Yes. Many issues varying from the hip, knees, ankle, foot, and all of the muscles in between can contribute to gait dysfunction. Let's talk about Trendelenburg gait. This happens when hip abductor muscles, specifically the gluteus medius and minimus, are weak and cannot stabilize during gait. The Trendelenburg test is positive when standing one-legged and the contralateral hip or pelvis drops because the ipsilateral hip abductors cannot stabilize. For example, if standing on the right leg and the left hip drops, this means you have weak right hip abductors. Easy to mix this up. What is the difference between an uncompensated Trendelenburg gait and a compensated Trendelenburg gait? In a compensated Trendelenburg gait, the patient will try to avoid contralateral hip drop by swinging his body to the ipsilateral side. This causes excessive lateral lean of the trunk, which is seen during the loading response through pre-swing phases. You should also know the major muscles and activity during each part of the gait cycle. There's a nice chart in many board review books. Um, I'll let you look that one up on your own. Now let's move on to a few notes on assistive devices. What is the difference between a cut, a crutch and a
2: crane? A cane has one point of contact with the body, while a crutch has two points of contact with the body.
0: How do you prescribe a cane? Or in other words, how tall should the cane be?
3: The cane height should allow for 20 to 30 degrees of elbow flexion. This is
1: usually at the level of the greater trochanter.
0: When is a walker indicated?
1: A walker should be used when there is bilateral weakness or incoordination, when gait is unstable, when a lower limb cannot fully bear weight and to provide general support for mobility and confidence, like the elderly and those who have been bedridden.
0: Know that walkers have the greatest support when aiding in unilateral weakness or amputation. Walkers give a wider base of support than the cane. They have a more stable base and provide a sense of security for those fearful of walking. Some disadvantages are its obvious appearance, interference with a smooth reciprocal gait pattern, as step length is decreased and interference with stairs, doorways, and bathrooms. Be able to identify the different types of walkers, which are the lightweight walker, folding walker, rolling walker, forearm resting walker, and hemi walker. Moving on to the subject of shoe orthoses and modifications. What is a University of California biomechanics lab orthosis better better known as a UCBL orthosis?
2: The UCBL is a custom-molded orthosis that controls flexible calcaneal deformities like rear foot, valgus, or varus and transverse plane deformities of the mid-tarsal joint like forefoot abduction or adduction.
0: The UCBL orthosis embraces the heel and hind foot and holds the midfoot with high medial and lateral trim lines. It provides longitudinal arch support and realigns a flexible flat foot. It allows subtalar supination and holds the calcaneus in place and prevents subtalar pronation. What is a rocker bar?
3: Isn't that where all the rock stars go to hang out? (laughs) Duh. I mean, (laughs) besides the obvious, a rocker bar is a convex strip placed across the sole just posterior to the metatarsal heads.
0: The rocker bar can be used to relieve metatarsal pain by relieving pressure. It can quicken the gait cycle by helping roll over during stance and it can assist dorsiflexion or decrease demand on weak plantar flexors during push off. There's also a rocker bottom shoe which includes the entire heel and sole. One heel orthosis to remember is the cushioned heel also known as the Satch heel. This is a heel with the posterior portion replaced by a rubberized compressible material to absorb shock during foot strike. This way, the line of gravity is shifted anterior to the knee joint at initial contact, causing an extension moment of the knee, thus stabilizing the knee. Let's talk AFOs or ankle foot orthotics. What are the three different types of plastic AFOs? The
1: posterior leaf spring, the semi-rigid plastic AFO, and the rigid or solid plastic AFO.
0: Know them all. So we should all know by now that AFOs assist in foot drop. How do you decide which type of AFO to use that's best for the patient? The posterior leaf spring is the most flexible with a thin plastic band behind the ankle to allow patients to overpower the brace during push off. This aids in dorsiflexion. The posterior leaf spring is usually used for the flaccid foot drop. The semi-rigid plastic AFO has a trim line just behind the malleoli and provides increased medial lateral stability of the ankle and dorsiflexion positioning of the foot. There is less motion here and the patient cannot easily propel during push-off. The semi-rigid AFO is best used for those with a foot drop that have some extensor tone and or medial lateral instability of the ankle. Finally, the rigid or solid AFO has a trim line at the malleoli or anterior to the malleoli with no motion allowed at the tibio-talar or subtalar joint. The rigid AFO is best used for patients with high levels of spasticity or excessive tone or when complete ankle immobilization is necessary. The AFO can have a hinged ankle joint using pins and springs, which can be single channel or dual channel. Know that pins are used to stop motion and springs are used to assist in motion. The single channel has three options. One, a spring can be inserted in the channel for dorsiflexion assist. Two, a steel pin can be inserted for plantar flexion stop. And three, both a pin and spring can be inserted for dorsiflexion assist and plantar flexion stop. The dual channel has both the posterior and anterior channel with the posterior channel functioning the same as the single channel joint that I just described. The anterior channel gives the additional option of an adjustable steel pin to block the forward progression of the tibia at mid In other words, it stops dorsiflexion. It also gives the option of locking the joint in a fixed position. The dual channel is most useful when the quadricep muscles are weak or when there is a Charcot deformity at the ankle. Onto KAFOs or knee ankle foot orthosis. This is an extension of an AFO that also provides alignment and control of the knee. There are different types of single axis knee joints for a KAFO. When should a KAFO with double metal uprights and posterior offset knee joints be used?
2: This is a great option for an obese patient with quadriceps weakness.
0: What is a Scott Craig orthosis? Bilateral KAFOs
3: used for standing and ambulation in adults with paraplegia.
0: A Scott Craig orthosis gives a functional and comfortable gait to a patient with complete neurological level at L1 or lower. The lower thigh and calf band are eliminated so that it doesn't have unnecessary hardware that may add to weight or make it more difficult to don and doff. It's important to know that a Scott Craig orthosis allows for unsupported standing. Ambulation is accomplished using a swing to or swing through gait pattern. Lastly, there are HKAFOs or hip, knee, ankle, foot orthosis. One distinct design to remember is the reciprocal gait orthosis or RGO. RGOs are bilateral HKAFOs and are used for upper lumbar paralysis in which active hip flexion is preserved. It provides mechanical assistance to hip extension while preventing simultaneous bilateral hip flexion. A reciprocal walking pattern is achieved as a step is initiated and hip flexion happens on one side while the coupling mechanism induces hip extension on the other side. Paraplegics can ambulate with an RGO using two crutches, thus having a four point gait. Moving on to a note on knee orthosis. When wearing a knee immobilizer, what advantage does adding a footplate to the knee immobilizer accomplish?
1: Adding a foot plate to a knee immobilizer decreases the rotational instability of the knee.
0: Next, we'll go over upper limb orthosis. Let's start by talking about the thumb. What
2: is a basic op- uh, blah, what is a basic opponent's orthosis? The basic opponent's orthosis immobilizes the thumb for tissue healing or protection or to help a weak thumb facilitate the three-jaw chuck.
0: In contrast to the basic opponent's orthosis, the long opponent's orthosis with wrist control attachments is used to stabilize the first MCP joint while the forearm maintains wrist in extension and prevents radial and ulnar deviation. One orthosis that we should always be familiar with is the resting hand splint. It provides functional thumb position for opposition and the three jaw chuck pinch. It places the hand and wrist in the intrinsic plus are um, also known as a safe position. What is the intrinsic plus or safe position?
3: This position is when the wrist is in neutral to slight extension. For the fingers, the MCPs are flexed 70 to 90 degrees and the IP joints are in full extension. The thumb CMC is in palmar abduction, that is ABduction, and the thumb MCP and IP joints are in full extension.
0: Now let's go over some wrist orthosis. One you should remember is the wrist-driven prehension orthosis, also known as the tenodesis orthosis or the flexor hinge splint. This splint is used in C6 complete tetraplegias. Since wrist extension is intact and the fingers are unable to flex or extend, the splint provides prehension. However, you should know that in order for this splint to function, the patient's wrist extensor strength should be 3 plus or higher in manual muscle testing. Next is the rehabilitation of Chicago or RIC tenodesis splint. This splint uses a cord or string from the wrist across the palm and up between the index and ring fingers. This allows for the three jaw chuck prehension when the patient extends the wrist. So when the wrist is flexed, the string is lax. When the wrist is extended, the string tightens and thus brings the fingers closer to the immobilized thumb causing prehension. Lastly, let's go over the balanced forearm orthosis. This is a shoulder-elbow-wrist-hand orthosis that has a forearm trough and a mount that can be mounted on a table or wheelchair. It supports the forearm and arm against gravity, allowing patients with weak shoulder and elbow muscles to move the arm horizontally and flex the elbow to bring the hand to the mouth. In order for the balanced forearm orthosis to function, the residual muscle strength of the biceps and pectoralis must be at least two, and the patient must be able to coordinate elbow flexion. Range of motion of the shoulder and elbow joint should be preserved as well. The patient also needs adequate trunk stability, balance, and endurance in the sitting position. What types of patients can benefit from using the balance forearm orthosis? Patients
1: with spinal cord injury, Guillain-Barre syndrome, polio, muscular dystrophy, and brachial plexus injury.
0: Almost there folks, hang in there. We just gotta go over spinal orthosis. Let's start with the simple soft cervical collar. The soft cervical collar doesn't provide much control of the cervical spine, but it does provide a kinesthetic reminder through sensory feedback for the patient to limit motion. It is used as symptomatic treatment of soft tissue injury of the neck, like whiplash injury, Know that the maximum amount of time it should be worn is 10 days. Otherwise, the patient is at risk for muscle atrophy and psychological dependency. So if you know your patient's been wearing it for longer than 10 days, discourage them from using it. The rigid cervical collar, on the other hand, can provide more control of the neck. The different types of rigid cervical collars are the Thomas collar, the Philadelphia collar, the Miami J collar, the Newport collar, and the Malibu collar. Isn't there an
3: Aspen collar also? Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: there is. There's an I like that they also. sound
3: so so exotic, you know. Makes me feel like they I'm do. going to destinations.
0: Needless to say, a lot of these spinal braces will have multiple names and it's important to know them all since you never know what the boards are gonna call it. Next is the sternooccipital mandibular immobilizer or the somai. This is a cervicothoracic orthosis, or a CTO, with a chest piece connected by uprights to the occipital plate. It can be easily applied to a supine patient. It also has a removable mandibular piece to allow for eating, washing, or shaving. This brace is used for cervical arthritis, post-surgical fusions, and stable cervical fractures. Next is the Minerva CTO, or the Thermoplastic Minerva Body Jacket. This CTO encloses the entire posterior skull, includes a band around the forehead, and extends downward to the inferior costal margin. What's good about it is that it is lighter weight than the halo vest, which we'll go over soon. Both the halo vest and Minerva CTO are indicated for the unstable cervical spine, like in unstable fractures of the cervical spine. However, the halo vest is superior to the Minerva in restricting motion. When is a Minerva CTO indicated instead of a halo vest?
2: The Minerva CTO is best in preschool children because it's more lightweight and comfortable. It also allows for early mobilization and rehabilitation while providing stability.
0: As I said, the halo vest gives the best control of motion in all planes. It is made of a rigid halo ring secured to the skull with four external fixation pins. Yikes. So it's not removable. The halo supports four posts attached to the anterior and posterior part of the vest. There's a risk of pressure ulcers with bed rest. The halo is actually the brace used by Regina George after she's hit by a bus in the movie Mean Girls. On to thoracolumbosacral orthosis or TLSO. In general, TLSOs extend from the sacrum to above the inferior angle of the scapula and are used to support and stabilize the trunk. It is also used to prevent progression of moderate scoliosis, meaning Cobb angle of 20 to 45 degrees, until the patient reaches skeletal maturity. The Jewett brace is a spine flexion control TLSO. It has a sternal pad, suprapubic pad, and an anterior lateral pad connected by oblique lateral uprights, counteracted by a dorsal lumbar pad. When is a Jewett brace indicated?
3: The Jewett brace is used to permit the upright position while preventing flexion, after compression fracture of the thoracolumbar spine.
0: So using the Jewett Brace in the treatment of compression fractures in osteoporotic elderly patients is controversial as it can place excessive hyperextension forces on the lower lumbars which can cause fractures or even worsen degenerative arthritis. What is the Milwaukee Brace? The Milwaukee brace is a cervical
1: thoracic lumbosacral orthosis used for scoliosis.
0: This will be the last brace we go over. The Milwaukee is made of a rigid plastic pelvic girdle connected to a neck ring over the upper thorax by one anterior broad aluminum bar and two posterior paraspinal bars. It is indicated for idiopathic or flexible congenital scoliosis with curves 25 to 40 degrees if the curve apex is located superior to T8 if there are no signs of progression, and if puberty has not finished. It can also be used for thoracic Shurman's disease kyphosis. So reviewing the charts on cervicothoracic orthosis from soft to rigid is very important because it's very easy to get questions about the differences and when one is more likely to be used compared to the other. And that's it for the gate and Orthosis Board Review. My main resource is the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Board Review, third edition by Dr. Sarah Cucurillo, with some help from the AAP Menar Practice SAE. I also made a reference to the 2004 American teen movie, Mean Girls, directed by Mark Waters and by Tina Fey. Hope you enjoyed, happy studying.
1: These views are our own and not those of our employer and Our Lady Docs makes no warranty, guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. While the information contained within the podcast is believed to be accurate at the time of the recording, no guarantee is given that the information provided in this podcast is correct, complete, and or up to date. The materials contained on this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute medical or other professional advice on any subject matter. All information, content, and material of this podcast is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified Physician or healthcare provider. If you're having a medical emergency, stop this podcast and call 911.